Well, there's Noah. All right. First time in Sunday school. May it go well. All right. <coughs> okay. Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Ephesians. That's awesome. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word through His Apostle Paul to our souls. Father, I ask again for the gift of teaching to unfold what You have revealed to do so accurately. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us here that not only will we have minds that can think and contemplate and learn, but we would have hearts to perceive and to get to be sanctified a little more or to come to saving faith in Jesus. So do it, O Lord, to the glory of Christ our Savior. Amen. Alright, so now... Towards the end of Paul's letter of Ephesians, he comes to this final section. Spiritual warfare. There is an unseen, non-physical realm. It's all around us. And whether you know it or don't know it, you are in a war, in a battle that is going on in that realm right now. Now we're going to be in this passage, it looks like so far, for weeks. 
on end. So what I want to first do just for a few minutes here is give a flyover of the forest, to give a bird's eye view of all that I just read there, the whole passage. What is Paul doing? So first, notice the beginning in verse 10. Every Christian is commanded to be strong. Be strong. Not in our own strength. Not in our own will autonomously. But to be strong with someone else's strength. The strength of the Lord. It's right there in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Okay, There's your main command. Now look down, verse 11 through verse 20. Then He just proceeds to tell us how to do it. That's awesome. He doesn't just say, be strong! And then you walk away and think, okay, how? He tells us how to go about being strong. And at its core, His answer is this. Dress. Dress daily with the armor of soldiers. The armor of God. Verse 11. Be strong. Here's how. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then he tells us, why is that so important? Why is that necessary for every Christian? Verse 12, here's his reason. For, or because, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Every Christian is under attack. Now if you say, I don't sense a battle. I don't sense any kind of wicked or evil forces attacking me. That's a sign that the devil's schemes are working on you. You're not standing against his schemes. You're bowing to them. There are myriad incidents of that. But just just this last week, a new poll comes out about our group. Evangelicals. And I predicted this a couple years ago. And it's just showing itself true. More and more, the percentages are going up of those who profess to be evangelical, Bible-believing Christians who, yes, same-sex marriage is acceptable. Not all homosexual activity is by itself sinful. Okay. That is a scheme 
of Satan to which many church-going people are falling into. As the culture goes, when they don't stand, so will they fall. And so Paul tells us why it's so important. And then, beginning with verse 13, he repeats the battle cry to stand firm. And then he proceeds to go deeper or to get very specific on how to stand by unfolding each piece of the armor of God. And so the bottom line is this. When, when each of us became a Christian, or when one becomes a Christian, whether we knew it or not, you were drafted into an army and into a battle. And you're daily being engaged by the enemy. Fire, as he calls it, fiery darts are all around your life. And they seek to destroy you. When we sinners, when, when we have our eyes opened by the miracle of new birth, utterly undeserved and nothing that we did, and we see the truth, and we find out we are raised from the dead spiritually at this point with Christ in the heavenlies, there, there, there is a peace that surpasses anything we could have dreamt about. And there is a joy of being loved by God through Jesus Christ. Or as Peter says, we haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, but though we haven't seen Him, we love Him and we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That is absolutely core to a newborn person. In Christ. It's there. And there's also this reality. There's an army of newfound enemies in the unseen spiritual realm. That's our text. And we live more and more now in the West and in America in a secular, atheistic, Society, with its worldview of materialism that is just ruling the day more and more. And so the question is who's right? The modern so called materialist who believe that there is nothing in existence except physical matter, material. Stuff? Are they right? Or the eyewitnesses to the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Confirming all the Hebrew Scripture. Confirming the words of Jesus. Confirming the biblical worldview that materialism is not reality. It's not the only thing that exists, but that there is a Creator and there is a non-physical world of reality and of influence. So, before we get into the weeds of the words and the phrases and the sentences that Paul lays out here in Ephesians 6, which I'll be doing in the weeks to come, before that, this morning is what I want to do. I just want to present a larger, not just in Ephesians here now, biblical worldview of the existence of Satan 
and demons. Which Paul then just comes in here and he assumes it. So I, w- I want to do that first before we look at what he is assuming. So let's start from the foundation. There is a God. There is only one uncreated Creator. God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are one. And everything else that is not God has been created by God. He not only created the physical world, the molecules between you and me right now, but He created a non-physical world, a spirit world, and beings who are only non-physical. Angels. They are spiritual, non-physical beings with the capacity of moral choices. And you got to think about this in the light of materialism, which is just rampant everywhere. They have a high intelligence without having a physical brain. So He created this world that you do not see and is not physical and you can't cut it up in a science lab. And He created the physical world. And He created human beings who are physical and non-physical with a soul. He took of the physical world and He formed the man and breathed into him a soul, the breath of life. Or as Paul would later say about believers, to be absent from the body, therefore no more brain waves going on, you will be conscious still. You will be present with the Lord. So He created the physical. He created this world that is non-physical. It is spiritual. It is real. And there are beings in it. Angelic beings. As Ezra says in Nehemiah 9.6, You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens. The spirit world. With all their hosts, the beings, the armies, You created the earth, the physical, and all that is in it, the seas, and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host, or the armies of heaven, worship you, the angels. So as we go back to the beginning of Scripture, the very first chapter of Genesis, it ends this way. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. Okay, this is what I think this is what I think this must mean. When that statement is made after creating all that He created, the angelic world included, it did not consist of Satan, the fallen one, as a fallen one, or evil spirits at that point. 
But something must have happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. Because when we find Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan shows up. He's already a sinner. He shows up hating God and as the deceiver to tempt Eve and Adam and mankind. And so there must have been a rebellion between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3. And the Apostle Peter refers to it in 2 Peter chapter 2, saying, For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus, meaning the underworld, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And Jude writes in Jude 6, verse 6, The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So something happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, which seems to be the fall of many angels. And thus of a chief angel, referred to as Satan. So, I'm going to read just for a moment, and here's how I'm going to put it. This, it's possible. I, I just, you just can't prove it. It's, just not, it's not totally sure. But it's possible that Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 may refer to the fall of Satan. Okay, I say may because... We deal with this in, with Old Testament prophets at times. There is a direct allusion to what's happening contemporarily with them. And then you see these far-reaching, like for instance, prophecies of the Christ coming that the New Testament sees. So this prophecy of Isaiah is directed at the king of Babylon. But as it goes through, all of a sudden it starts to make a twist. You think, are you talking about something more than a man? Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Maybe that refers to the one we refer to in Scripture, Satan. Or Ezekiel, though it's directed at the king of Tyre. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were an anointed guardian cherub angelic language you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you so I cast you as a profane thing 
from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. Okay. But whether those two passages actually refer to the fall of that angelic being who became Satan or not, it's not terribly important. Because the reality is, Scripture is clear that there is the evil one referred to as Satan. The chief of the fallen angelic beings. We get that word Satan from the Hebrew, Satan, seen Tav Nun. Satan or Satan means enemy, means adversary. So as you go through the scripture, he shows up with that, when I'm talking about with that word in Job 1. Before the throne of God, right? And he, he wants to be the adversary of God in anybody who would worship him. So Job appears to really worship God, and Satan says, Not really. And God gives him because God is sovereign. He can do nothing outside of God's sovereign will. He's on a chain. Up to this point, I'll let you do your thing, and you'll see. That's what he's about. Let's bring sin out of angelic beings or human beings. Okay, then Satan shows up again in 1 Chronicles 21.1. Then Satan stood against Israel and he incited David to number Israel. It wasn't a good thing and it didn't go well. He shows up again in the prophet Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Okay, there you go. That's it. That's all you get. In the Old Testament. With the word Satan. In the New Testament, Satan, in the Greek, coming over from the Hebrew, transliteration comes out as Satan, is used 15 times just in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in, in the, the, the narrative of Christ's life, 15 times that term is used. And then in the rest of the New Testament, from Acts to Revelation, it's used another 19 times. Remember in Jesus' temptation, He says, Be gone, Satan, who came to tempt Him. Later, Jesus would declare to His Twelve, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, I'm just talking about the word Satan now. Now there's this other term that refers to the same personage. We call him now his title, the devil. Okay? Now that term is what is in our passage there in verse 11 of Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's the Greek word, diabolos. 
The devil, diabolos, within the New Testament is used 38 times. And he's also referred to as the serpent, Beelzebul, the ruler of this world, the god of this world, the evil one. Paul referred to him back in chapter 2 of Ephesians as before we were born again, we were, he says, following the prince of the power of the air, following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay. So it appears, and take the Bible as a whole, that Satan is the originator of sin. The first sinner. Put it that way. Not a human. An angelic being. Why? Because he had already sinned before we find him in the garden approaching humanity. Approaching Eve. Paul refers to him that way when he writes in 2 Corinthians 11. But I'm afraid that as the serpent... He knows he's referring to Satan. As the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Jesus declared in John 8, verse 44, speaking to legalist, and that's a nasty term, speaking to those who were filled with religious arrogance and pride, He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character because he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, John also writes that in 1 John 3 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, habitual, unrepentant lifestyle of sinning is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Okay. Now, when he says from beginning, he doesn't mean from the beginning of the devil or Satan's existence, he's a sinner. It's not what he's saying. He's saying from the beginning parts of human history that we find unfolded with the Garden of Eden on. From the very beginning, Satan was a sinner and there the liar, the father of lies, etc. He is the originator of sin and he lives for his goal to hate God, to hate His glory, and to cause others to follow Him in it. To tempt other moral agents, angelic or human, to sin. Now, besides Satan, that being, there are other non-physical beings, as we read in 1 Peter in Jude, of many angels who have sinned 
and fallen and become evil. Or referred to as evil spirits or unclean spirits or demons. And Satan, he's over them. And Paul's got even different terms, like in our passage, we'll come to in the weeks to come, but he calls them the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly, non-physical, heavenly places. And that's why he tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So these demonic forces, they, they use any and every kind of destructive and deceptive activity in order to cause people to turn away from God. And to cause them to be blinded from the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They will even come as really nice angels of light. And often their work comes through mediators. Human mediators in religion with religious, theological, Deception and gospel twisting. Look, I don't. Look, this is what Paul says. Listen to how Paul says this in Second Corinthians, chapter eleven. For such men, he's referring to people within Christendom in the church world of his day. Okay. Teaching his churches, some that he founded. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if His servants, now here He means human beings, using the name Jesus, teaching, but twisted doctrine, it's no surprise if His servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. It's human, but it's not just human. And it's around today. All over the place. It is not God's idea for those who proclaim Christ to hide the Gospel in order to grow churches. Someone else's idea to be less clear with truth and think you can manipulate God's work. Paul writes earlier in 2 Corinthians, as we preach the Gospel, 
And if our gospel is veiled, you got people that just can't see it. Well, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers in order to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's how Paul sees this work of the demonic realm that Satan is over. And that's what Paul was driving at when he writes in Galatians 4.8. Formerly, meaning before you were born again, before you came to new life in Jesus Christ, you in, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods at all in their pagan worship. And Paul makes it clear, they were demonic forces. Now just briefly, see, demons are not God. They're little creatures. They're not omniscient. They don't know everything like God knows. They're very limited. They're not omnipresent. They're at one place at one time. Well, Then, then, then how could they work in the occult where, where that fortune teller told me what I had for breakfast because a demon watched you have breakfast and told her. Okay. But it's not omniscience. It's, they're not omnipotent. No, they are little sinful fallen creatures who are ultimately subjected and limited by God's sovereign control. And so Christians, those of us who are we're in Christ now, you in Christ, then that means we are those who have been rescued from the controlling power of the kingdom or the rule of darkness of that realm. Christians, as we saw just now in 2 Corinthians 4, are no longer blinded. You know, Paul goes on to say, but God in His sovereign mercy, what? He shone in our hearts to give the light of the glory. God in the face of Jesus. We saw it. I'm a believer. What happened to Satan's blinding power? God just says, no, that's done. And you're a Christian. That's what He did. Believers are those who are no longer blinded. Why? Because of the infinitely greater Spirit. The infinitely greater power of God, the Holy Spirit, has come into our hearts and now dwells within us. And therefore, Christians, in the strength, as Paul would say in our text, in the strength of Christ's might, have authority over demonic forces. So, so James can write to the church and say, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now for a minute, what I want to do now, I want to take a, a large look from, of redemptive history very briefly. Okay? 
you know, from the beginning through Old Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene, and because when Jesus showed up, about 30 years old, in his ministry, something historic happened like never happened before. The demonic realm went nuts. He just walked into town, and persons who were demonized. Through them, demons couldn't shut their mouths. So if you come to destroy us before the time, they were freaking out. And Jesus is casting demons out of persons all over the place. He would simply say, shut up. Come out of them. And they would. He had total control and authority over them. See, the language, therefore, when you come to the New Testament, the language of demons, of Satan, of the devil, of evil spirits, of unclean spirits, it's all over the New Testament, right? Okay. All right, we'll flip back to the rest of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the language is there, but it's not there very often. And there's no casting out of demons you find in the Old Testament. Well, one thing that gets close, right, when David plays his stringed instrument as a young man in the court of Saul, and the text say the evil spirit would leave Saul for a time, and then he'd go nuts again. Okay. But having said that, throughout the Old Testament, the reality of demonic activity is clearly there. And this is what I mean. If you know your Bible, you know your Old Testament history, the people of Israel, what would they do? Go good for a little bit and then start worshiping again false gods, idols of the people, Molech and Baal. And, and here again and again and again to serve and to worship through other religious means. Here's the point. The reality through that happening throughout the Old Testament, behind that idol worship was demonic activity. That's what Moses tells us. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses writes, they people of Israel stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations they provoked God or Yahweh to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were not gods at all. They were demons. Welcome to the whole history of Israel back and forth. So that in Psalm 106, it, it indicts Israel for this sin of demon worship via false religion. Quote, But they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. 
Satan and demons were behind idol worship. And that's why the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Corinthians of his present day of the Greco-Roman world and all the differing gods throughout all the towns and the cities and the temples. He says, no, but I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to become participants with demons. Okay. So, but here we are. In redemptive history, Jesus comes on the scene. And His ministry can be characterized at its core like this. It was a huge clash between the demonic realm and the kingdom of God. Between evil spirits and the sovereign King of the universe becoming man in true humanity. Read the Gospels. That's one of the core things that you're seeing throughout. And that's why His ministry was shockingly different than anything anyone had ever seen in Israel up to that point. In Mark 1, we read this. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits. And they obey Him. And and Jesus explained the essence of what He was doing, of what He was about, of what His ministry was, saying that the sign of Me having authority over demons and driving them out with a word is the sign of the promised inauguration of the kingdom of God. That's how he said it in Matthew 12. But if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is the conquering King. And those whom He rescues from the dominion of Satan, from the dominion of darkness, through new birth, they're given authority over evil spirits. He gave it first to the twelve, and they went out and were amazed that demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. He gave it then to 70 disciples, and they were just as amazed. And then, after His resurrection and His ascension into heaven, we see Him giving that authority to the early church. As we read in Acts 8 with Philip, not an apostle, a deacon, and a preacher. And the crowds were with one accord. They paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard Him and saw the signs that He did. And watch the signs. Watch. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And then, of course, later in Paul's missionary journey in Ephesus. No, it wasn't Ephesus. It was Philippi, right? In chapter 16. That servant girl fortune teller 
And this she kept doing for many days. She had a demon. And Paul finally was fed up. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So Paul writes a general epistle to all the churches. And Paul, I mean Peter. And he says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. And then in Revelation, we see in chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And then in verse 10 of Revelation 20, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So here we are, 2017. If you have come to love the Lord Jesus, you look at the Scripture and it says, oh, look at that, the wind blew. He caused me to be born again. He called me to saving faith. His grace is amazing. I didn't deserve any of that in your life to Him. It also means we live right now in this present evil age before the consummation of the kingdom, which will come with Jesus' second coming. And thus, as believers, we are in enemy territory. Demonic activity is real and it is at work today. And that's why Paul says to our brethren in the first century as well as to us, put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the scheme of the devil. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so as we who are believers have come out of, by God's mercy, we've come out of the kingdom and control of darkness into the kingdom of God, the vast majority of our problem is us. Not demons. It's 
our flesh, our remaining sinful nature that God sovereignly leaves us with in the work of sanctification, it is not something outside of us mainly. It's us. Our wills. Our desires. Not an outside agency, and about three of us in here will probably get it. Not Flip Wilson's, the devil made me do it. The New Testament as a whole, which I'm just going to do, but here's the summary. As you look at our walk with Christ and our battle against sin and unholiness and to walk in righteousness, it is presented as a whole. You, Christian, stop it. You be filled with the Spirit. You take up His Word. You walk by the Spirit and you will not be fulfilling the desires of your flesh or of your sinful nature. Okay, that's the reality. Now, having said that, okay, got that? Dun, 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 we don't, okay. This is where the battle against spiritual forces comes in now, knowing that. Because the whole realm of spiritual darkness is out there to lure your flesh. It's out there to lure you in to sin. It's out there to lure you into false doctrine and unholy living. And often, those two, false teachings and how you're living your life, are often connected. The New Testament gives us a few examples of demonic influence in the world and how it's working. One, one we've seen, and that's this. Behind false religions, it's not a vacuum, and merely human, it is demonic. All the false religions of the world are demonic. All those in the name of Christianity that go into heresy, and imbibe it, and continue in it. It's demonic. I say that the things, an idol worship that they do, they sacrifice not to God, but to demons. And the second thing we see is, behind the false teachings within the church world, is usually, Demonic. I don't mean wrong, false, dangerous doctrines that are persisted in are demonic. See, Paul says this himself, and, and he even gives a few examples when he writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, he says this to him. Now, the Holy Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. How? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to teachings of demons. 
Now watch what he's not done. He doesn't mean demons are going to appear and I'm going to sit in a classroom and they're going to teach me. He calls them teachings that are coming from the source of demons, but watch, through humans. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And now here's a couple of doctrines Paul thinks are demonic. Who forbid marriage. Want to be really holy? Don't marry. It's a doctrine of demons. You want to be really holy because God calls you not to be married? That's fantastic. But if you think you add that to your little belt and notch of righteousness that makes you better, you got it wrong. Two doctrines of demons who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food. You want to get to heaven, you got to stop eating Leviticus food. You've got to eat kosher, which Paul dealt with throughout his ministry. He saw it as demonically influenced. Paul says, no, 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 no. All the foods are created by God and received with thanksgiving, etc. See, much, much of the schemes and the trickery of Satan and his evil spirits, much of it, don't, don't get all, you know, I want to watch a movie on exorcism, or I heard a time when someone had a demon cast, mate, okay, great. But much of it is just a daily battle that has to do with false doctrine. This is how Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2. Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now listen to him. God, as you go about this, Timothy, and these men go about this, God may perhaps grant them, the ones who are coming against the true gospel of Christ, He may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare, the trap of the devil. And no wonder, because Jesus Himself Accused those who disagreed with him. Well, he is the truth, and none of us are the truth. Oh, we should yearn to, to be right and to know the truth, to deal with the scripture accurately, which is the truth. But Jesus accused those who came against his teaching, not merely as merely wrong, but they are doing the will of their father, Satan. The devil. And John writes at the end of 1 John, we know that we are from God. In other words, God has mercifully, sovereignly called us to faith in Christ. <laughs> Look at that, I'm a believer. And we've come into a new realm, though we still live here. He says, we know we're from God. And this is what he says. And we know this, the whole world that we live in lies in the power of the evil one. And Revelation 12 calls Satan 
the deceiver of the whole earth. He is the one, Paul says, that is working in unbelievers, the sons of disobedience. So we, who are believers, we have an enemy. Precisely because we are new creatures in Christ. And we have no one to blame for our sins but ourselves. But we are in a daily battle against demonic influence, which is out there to tempt us into unholiness and into the deception of false doctrine. At the core of the daily walk of us believers is a war. We battle against our flesh and it's a war against unseen demonic enemies. For we do not wrestle against other humans but we do wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so, when we refer to demons in the demonic realm, our task is not to try to look under any rock and see if there's a demon there, or just because I gained 10 pounds, I'm going to blame it now on the, the demon of obesity, etc., etc., etc. Many of us know what we've heard many like that. No, the daily task is to do the positive. Not to look to the negative as the core of your life. Satan is very negative. Demonic power. But the task is to do the positive activity of putting on daily the whole armor of God. It is the positive task of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Of reading and absorbing the Scripture the Word of God, the truth, and prayer. It is the daily walking by the Spirit and thus walking in righteousness and not in sin. In holiness. And that's where we will be turning as we work through Paul here in chapter 6 in the weeks to come. But right now as we sit this morning... And we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. I want you to think, don't get up yet. Don't get up. I'm not ready yet. I'm sorry. Say, no, no, I'm not ready. As we do that, we have victory over the demonic realm. And victory over the guilt of our sin. Because Jesus went to the cross. Just listen carefully how Paul says this in Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh before new birth, 
God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. We're all lawbreakers. And it says, this Jesus set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. He's not done. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So now as we who are baptized believers, as we are going to partake of the body and the blood of Christ, we do it in remembrance of the new covenant blood that He shed for us to set us free from the guilt of our sin before God and from the power of darkness in the demonic realm. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your eternal Son to become one of us to suffer and to die, to put away our guilt, to conquer Satan, to conquer the powers of darkness and to conquer the last enemy, death, in our future resurrection one day. You are good. And oh, may You cause us therefore to be those who walk in the light, who resist the darkness, who are so attuned to the truth of Scripture that we hear demonic teachings easily. And we resist them. We repel them. Oh, Father, You are good. Your grace and the work of Your Holy Spirit is precious to us. And we thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen.